us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Our God and our Father, please allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman and redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Once again, let us hear our gospel reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was, while they were conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early that astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were there with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You know, today is the third Sunday of Easter. If you can find any Easter products in the stores, they're marked down to 90% off, maybe even 95%. Our consumer-driven culture is now consumed with Memorial Day and all the spring items for your yard and the upcoming picnic season. In our ever-revolving calendar driven by civil and sales events and holidays, there is always an ever-larger buildup to the day on the calendar and then a quick day of celebration and a scramble to change to the next holiday. At best, 
Most people have a quick sentimental attachment to holiday events, to holiday foods, and to their yearly celebrations. Easter brings the good news of the resurrection of King Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. You and I and the world cannot ignore Jesus. You cannot put him or his resurrection in a box to go into the attic until next year. Jesus is a fact. His resurrection is a fact. You cannot sentimentalize Easter. It is not just another holiday to be celebrated, but rather the turning point of all of history. Easter destroys the foolish hopes of unbelieving people. And as we heard last week, Machen reminds us that the unbelieving world's hope is based upon the shifting emotions of sinful men. The ever-shifting foundations of the unbelieving world has led them to believe that they can judge themselves and define themselves. They simply cannot. Outside of the Bible, there is no firm absolutes, and so men live in fear of death and in fear of living. As Christians, our hope in Jesus distinguishes us from the world. Nothing can do us ultimate harm, not even death. The world cannot live this way. They are gripped with fear. They cannot possibly live unless you affirm them in every way possible, and then they're still not happy. Actually, if there is only one enemy left in the world that stands against affirming them, and their truth, and their shifting sinful emotions. They fear that he may expose their folly. Because of the resurrection, our future is certain. We should not live in despair like unbelievers. God is at work delivering us in the midst of our trials and sufferings so that God may be glorified and reconcile all nations to himself. As we consider this, we've got to be careful ourselves. Because sometimes in life we face trials, we are in places where we have to suffer, and we can fall into despair. In our despair, we can wander from God and His purposes. In our text today, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now Cleopas and the other person, the other disciple that's with him, they're discouraged. They're disappointed. Maybe in their discouragement and disappointment, they might actually be angry with God. These two disciples are prematurely leaving Jerusalem. You say, what do you mean? Well, we know from Acts that after Pentecost, that the church grows from Jerusalem and from there to all of Israel and from there to all of the Gentile nations. 
the church will continue to grow now and into the future until all the nations are discipled. These disciples there on that day, they are uncertain and they are blinded to God's plan. Now the good news is God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so we see that Jesus draws near. In verse 15 it says, So it was, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus, and look at what it says, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. We serve a God who draws near. Deuteronomy 30 tells us that when we sin, that we may draw near to God in repentance, and he will reconcile himself to us. Just like Yahweh drew near to Israel in Egypt to bring them out and deliver them from bondage, Jesus drew near so that each one of us may be drawn out of our slavery to sin and death. Philippians 2.5 tells us this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. People of God, Jesus came and drew near to us by becoming a man. The triune God is not a distant, impersonal God. From creation until now and throughout all the future, God is involved in the world and the lives of all men. God the Father's providential plan was for us from the foundations of the world to be reconciled to himself through the Son. But these disciples on the first Easter, they couldn't see that. Just like Mary Magdalene, they did not recognize Jesus or his voice. The word tells us that their eyes were restrained. God wanted to teach them the word and reveal that he is the bread of life. John 6, 48. Of course, in verse 16 there in our passage, it says their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that happened in these days? And he said to them, and this is Jesus, what things? They are exasperated with Jesus. Cleopas is, is, is just astounded. And the truth is, the only person that day that actually knew what was going on was Jesus himself. Cleopas cannot comprehend how this person coming from Jerusalem could not know what has taken place over the last several days. Jesus, the only one who actually knows what really happened, provokes the two disciples to recount what they know. I don't know if you noticed when I read that, but I, but I toned it down, right? Listen again. So here's Cleopas. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said, what things? 
You see, because he was calm, because he knew the plan. He knew what had happened, how they had been delivered, and they didn't know. They didn't understand. They couldn't comprehend. So what does he do? He provokes them to tell them, to tell him what it is they think they know. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Now here, if you look in your Bibles, you'll see that the word prophet is capitalized. This isn't just any prophet. This is the prophet that is spoken of by God to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 18. And there, there is a promise that he would bring one from their own people that would be the prophet and bring them the very words of God. That is who Jesus is. Verse 20 goes on and says, How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Their despair is flowing from a frustration that they had plans. They had plans for Jesus to be the prophet and for Jesus to redeem Israel. These disciples of Jesus were in utter despair because God was not working things out the way they thought God should. Now, if we can be honest with one another, we've all been in this spot where we have looked at circumstances, we have looked at the problems, we have looked at the challenges before us, maybe our families, maybe ourselves, are suffering in some capacity. And we're like, what is God doing? How can any good come out of this? God, here's what. This is how you should work this out. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Now, I certainly... God's word tells us that we should come before him, bring our concerns, our prayers and petitions to him, and we should ask for relief. But we need to be like Jesus. Not my will be done, but yours. I'm going to submit myself to God's providences. No matter the difficulties, trials, and problems that I see in my life and the life of other people. You see, they were looking at things and they were saying, Jesus is arrested and crucified by their oppressors, the Romans. After all this time with Jesus, they still had a view that they needed redemption from Rome and not redemption from their sin. They could not see how Jesus' humiliation, suffering, and death was going to bring redemption. We, like the first disciples, often incorrectly identify what our real problems are. When we hit these challenges, when we are suffering, when we see others suffering, when we see problems, we're like, it's plain and simple. Again, we think we're God's advisor, right? It's plain and simple. This is how it needs to work out. This is what the real problem is. No. The real problem is the sin in your life 
my life that is preventing us from glorifying God in our daily lives. We live our lives astounded that God doesn't deliver us the way we think He should. We too need to be instructed in the Word and come truly to Jesus as the bread of life. In our passage, Cleopas continues, Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And a certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they had actually heard of the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. But all the evidence did was simply cause more questions. Because it didn't fit in their plan. It's interesting. You think about this, all the disciples that were there, and obviously Cleopas was there when, when, the, when the women came and shared their observations, what they saw, because they, they, they're hearing the testimony. All those disciples that were gathered there, two went to go verify that we see in the scriptures. And clearly Cleopas didn't go because he references it in the third person. Some of our group went. Now you would think with this potential news, you know, we look back at him and we go, what was wrong with those people? Why didn't they run down there and go to the, the tomb and check it out? No. You know what we do? We're just like Cleopas and many of the other disciples that were there. We want to cling to our despair because we can't see and understand everything. We don't get up and go and see what God has done. We stay seated. It's almost like pouting because God's not doing it our way. You see, what happened? When we cling to our own views about what we think we see in life, we make decisions based off our emotions, our sentiments, instead of God's word. Cleopas and the other disciple left Jerusalem. Their fears, doubts, and misunderstandings were driving their decisions. They did not understand life from death and victory from de defeat. The truth is, we all struggle to believe all of God's word. Jesus then says in verse 25, He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? They did not understand God's word. They did not remember the very words of Jesus. And it says in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, blindness is connected to a defect in understanding. Here Jesus teaches us, this is important, here Jesus teaches us that we must know the Old Testament. 
We need to understand all of God's work from creation to Christ. Jesus teaches that everything in the scriptures was about him. All the symbols and all the types. And frankly, you know what this means? We have to get up and work at it. We have to read God's word and study and see what others can help us to understand. Yes, all the symbols, all the types were about Jesus. You see, Cleopas and those, those other disciples, they did not understand the garden. They didn't understand the flood or Babel. They didn't understand the suffering that brought about the salvation in Abraham, in Isaac, in Jacob. And I think we see a little bit of this in Joseph. But the truth is, there was great suffering. Do you think it was easy for Abraham to have heard the promises of God and then go years before his wife gets pregnant? Was that hard? Was there suffering? If you've ever struggled to have children, I can tell you, you suffer in that. Do you think that it was easy with all the challenges going on around for Isaac, for Jacob? Again, with Jacob, we see some things. In, and a lot of times we say, well, man, a bunch of that was his own fault. Perhaps. Some of it was. He wasn't a sinless man. But he grew in wisdom all the way to the point that God comes down and wrestles with him. Christ wrestles with him. And then what does he do? He puts his hip out of socket before the Lord blesses him. Now, how in the world can having a limp the rest of your life be a blessing? How can that suffering? I don't know. I woke up this morning. My knees hurt. My, left, my right hip was hurt. But I don't, you know, I'm a little more limber now. Okay? But for, for Jacob, that was going to continue. God was growing him. He put all these things, God put all those challenges in front of Jacob, all those difficulties, even being tricked out of the wife of his dreams. All of those things were God's providences to make Jacob trust and obey God, to grow in maturity, to grow in wisdom. And what God did, God actually gave him a blessing when he put that hip out of joint. Because now, you know, he was a, he was a shepherd, right? Now, he actually had to rule in wisdom. Because he couldn't run, go get those sheep. He had to give directions. And I'm not saying none of that wasn't happening already. But the whole purpose of that difficulty was to push him, to mature him to the next level of wisdom and care and leadership. Cleopas and the others, they did not understand why Israel was established. And because of that, they didn't understand the law. And because of that, they couldn't comprehend what was going on with all these kings. And they couldn't understand the prophets or the exile or even the return. All of that was askew. You see, it's interesting, when you look at this, 
you know, they, they talk about how the oral, the oral teachings, right? They went to their traditions and oral teachings. It's fascinating. We th tend to think that like these things were going on for some time. When you study it historically, these oral teachings that were going on in Israel in Jesus' day, they didn't go back as far as you'd think. They didn't simply come out of that intertestamental period. Well, we got to make stuff up because God's not speaking. It didn't happen right after the last prophet spoke. It didn't even happen under the Maccabees years and years later. It's only about two generations that the oral law was developed, all this extra stuff. And not that they weren't sinning and creating issues, because obviously there were things leading up to that. But what they called tradition, what they called as the authoritative law that's been written, commentaries and everything, that's just a couple of generations before Jesus. They write their own word of God. They define themselves. Uh-oh. Sounds just like where we are today. Being our own God. We need to submit ourselves to God's word. Jesus fulfills all the symbols and types of the Old Testament. God has not changed how he operates. Jesus suffered and brought victory and life and set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Hebrews 2, verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted death for us, that we may be delivered from sin and death. Can you imagine Jesus is walking along that road, for miles, explaining all of God's word. On flat ground, at a reasonable pace, right? And I mean, I don't suspect that depressed and sad people are just bolting down the road. They're probably dragging their feet. They're shuffling along. But still, this is only about two or three hours, maybe four at the most if they're really going slow. Right? And even after all this time of instruction and in how Jesus is all things in the scriptures, they still don't recognize him. It is the breaking of bread that brings revelation. It says this in verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. You know, this kind of reminds me when you're out traveling somewhere, maybe you've gone a distance, and you, you maybe on the plane or maybe at the hotel or you're at some conference somewhere and you run into somebody and you find out that they believe in Christ, that they've had similar things, that they understand the scriptures and they're talking, and you get excited and you say, come hang out with me. Come spend some time. Don't go back to your room yet. Come with me. I want to hear more of this. Let me be encouraged. They were beginning to hope. They were beginning to hope. And it says this, that he, remember, he drew near to them, that he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. 
Now, it's interesting. The book of Luke is filled with meals, many meals. Now, here, it's interesting. If you count these meals up, this is the eighth meal that Luke records in his gospel. The seventh meal is the Lord's table. This eighth meal on the eighth day is the first meal on the first day of the creation. The word without bread is detached from real life. You see, the Lord's table is not just an intellectual exercise. If you have bread without the word, the table simply becomes a type of of a magic act. God has given us the sacrament with the word and teaches us that we are both physical and rational beings. The Christian life is both faith and works, both belief and actions that flow from our belief in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So God gives us, he draws near to us. After, you know, the, the purpose of our service, we have this pattern we're using every week, right? You get the call, right? We confess our sins. We rejoice because we hear how he has forgiven our sins for the sake of Jesus Christ, right? We sing praises. We hear God's word, and it cuts us up, and it reorganizes us so that we can be living offerings. And then God draws near to us in a way that is different. You see, up to that point, we've gotten up and down a few times. We're using our voices. We're singing. Okay? But then the tangible part of how he feeds us, how we come to peace with God through Christ, and then connectedness to one another is through that bread. Now, that's not magic, but it is part of what God is doing to join us together. He is doing something, not by us, but the Spirit. And we need to recognize, we need to recognize that we are both rational beings and physical beings. You know, we have a mission to make disciples of all the nations. We need to be strengthened by word and sacrament. As one commentator states, as the church knows Jesus, the risen Lord, in word and bread, she is prepared for the mission of preaching, repentance, and forgiveness of sin to the nations. We need the written and edible word to truly understand Jesus. And we see this in this passage here. Now, all of this, this has been interesting, but what does this mean? How does this help us to live every day? I'm sure you've heard a few things you could... Say, yeah, that might apply to me. I need to reorganize my thinking, this sort of thing. But you see, the reality of the resurrection causes us to proclaim Christ is risen. Verse 32 says this, And they said to one another, this is Cleopas, and the other disciple that was there with Jesus, Did our heart not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? The Spirit gives us understanding. Jesus opens up the scriptures to us. So they had action. They didn't just sit there, high-fiving, we got, ooh, no, no. What did they do? It says, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Remember we talked about in the beginning? They left prematurely. They needed to go back. 
to Jerusalem. And what did they do? They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And what did they do? Here it is, people. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told him about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. When these disciples have both the word of God and the bread of light, they return to Jerusalem and to be the first ones to proclaim, The Lord is risen indeed. Today, the world needs a church with people who believe and live as though Christ is risen from the dead. We need to believe and live in the reality that Jesus is the word of life, and without him, you will die. We are called to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, beginning with verse 4, says this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We must walk in newness of life. To walk in newness of life in our resurrected Lord, we must live in a way that demonstrates our true belief in the resurrection. We're not doing this when we choose to sin against one another. We must live in obedience to God's word. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 tells us, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Are you loving and caring for your fellow church members? Do you know them so that you may stir up each one of them to live and to have good works? Men, now listen up here. Men, women, children, look this way. When you work at your jobs, at home, doing your schoolwork, or work in any other way, you need to work that declare, do that work in a way that declares that Jesus is risen. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we need to do our work, whether it's your homework, your schoolwork, putting away your toys, taking care of your house. All the work that you do, going out and earning a living, are you doing it in a way that declares that Jesus is risen and that you have been set free from your sin? What about in our families? Right after he says this, right? Because we all, we look at that and we go, oh, I can kind of get that. I can kind of do that. You know where we're most challenged to live like Christ is risen? When we go home, we walk in the door, and we close that door. Everyone in the room needs to hear the rest of this passage. Verse 18 says this, wives. Submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter to them. Children, are you listening? Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, listen up. Do not provoke your children 
lest they become discouraged. This is the way to live in the light of the resurrection. This is the way to preach the gospel and make disciples in your families and to the ends of the earth. Christ is risen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God who draws near. We thank you that you sent your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to suffer the shameful death of the cross. Please grant us true humility. Take from us all haughtiness and pride that we may understand and submit to your word in every part of our lives. By your Spirit, may we be quick to confess our sins. Grant that we may lay down our lives, that others may be re reconciled to you because you did not leave your son in the grave. We ask these things be done for Jesus' sake. Amen.